0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: Welcome to the show. We'll be joined in just a few moments by Larry Hott, our own Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. First, some breaking news. The space shot to the moon didn't take off, Monty. Well, was, I was so looking forward to it.
2: You know, don't don't worry too much. This was phase one of the New attempt to go back to the moon, but there weren't going to be any people on this rocket anyway. Doesn't it
3: all take place in a studio in Hollywood?
2: That's right. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick is no longer directing it anymore. But yeah, Artemis 1 was supposed to launch this morning, but there were some weather issues and then there were some fueling issues. And so this was an experimental uncrewed flight. that I think would was be- the price of oil went up and they uh, couldn't afford it. Right. They were waiting for the prices to drop after Labor Day. No, they will probably try again on Friday, though.
1: I spent a lot of this weekend reading about why we're going back to the moon. And it seems, well, we've lost about 20 years and that we could have had a station on the moon by this point, but we haven't done that.
2: And everybody's going to want a station on the moon at this point. China is angling towards the moon, and I think the United States wants to make sure that they uh, stake their claim. We already put our flag up there, so I have to go back and...
1: Uh, I'm it. not sure that the flag actually... Wait a second. There's a treaty. There's an international treaty on space and I thought the moon was supposed to be at least demilitarized and I think there's a provision in that treaty that says and no country is allowed to claim it
2: well you can you can buy a star from the international star registry so I don't
3: know what's true (laughs) or or not anymore and you can name a star too (laughs) I I will only believe that we can go to the moon when the duchy of Fenwick sends a space probe the Duchy of anybody know the reference? No. Uh-oh. The mouse that roared. Huh? Uh. Yeah, okay, we'll come back to that another time.
1: Okay. In other breaking news, a disappointing, only, well, only to those of us who read the Gazette and follow GazetteNet and know Dusty Christensen, an email from Dusty this morning saying, if you're receiving this message, you're likely someone I've corresponded with over the fa- past five years as a staff writer at the Daily Hampshire Gazette. I'm writing to you today to sadly announce this is my last week working at this incredible newspaper. My final day of work is September 4th, which I would would point out is the Sunday before Labor Day he'll be working. (laughs) And Dusty
2: was very much involved in the labor organizing that unionized the Daily Hampshire Gazette a year or so ago.
1: Dusty goes on to say, I am going to be working full-time as a reporter here in Western Massachusetts. I'll be teaching a journalism course at UMass Amherst in the fall. I'll be working as an independent reporter on bigger projects, and he'll tell us more about what those are in the future, and he invites us all to stay in touch. Sad to me that Dusty's leaving. He's been a remarkably, uh, remarkable reporter for the Gazette. Uh, his insights are, I think, really telling, and his style of writing, his his journalism is just excellent. Uh, It's a real loss for the Gazette and a real loss for the community. You're nodding, Monty. I
2: agree fully, and he was always a great guest on this show to be able to communicate the different types of stories he was working on here as well. Some people can write, but then when you get them on the air, they have a harder time, but Dusty was not one of those people.
1: It's true. He can communicate. Here's his final paragraph. Uh, if you know any reporters looking to protect the Fourth Estate, put them in touch with me. It has been an honor working as your local correspondent for the past half decade. I'm looking forward to more years of shoe leather reporting, holding the powerful, accountable, and chronicling life here in the 413. Another well-written piece by <laughs> Dusty Christensen. We're going to sad that he will not be with the Gazette after next Sunday. Let's turn to our guest in the studio, Larry Hott, our own Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. Larry, you've been working on a project. You've been telling us about it. It will air on PBS next
3: year, yes? Yes. Titled? It's called The Niagara Movement. And we've been working on the subtitle. We want to have the longest subtitle possible. (laughs) (laughs) It's a PBS rule. Oh, right. There has to be a subtitle. (laughs) Yes. The subtitle could be the people and events that led to the establishment of the NAACP, or it could be the battle for the souls of black folk at the turn of the last century. All those things are true. What the Niagara Movement was, was a group of people who came together.
1: Well, let's stop there for one second. You still don't have the subtitle? No, no, we don't have a subtitle. I like the
3: second one
2: better. Can we vote? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I already voted. (laughs) Early voting.
3: (laughs) Well, the problem with a short title like the Niagara Movement is people think, if they don't know anything about it... They think it's about water. They think it's about the falls. They think it's about stomach issues. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to come up with a subtitle that explains what it is. And one of the reasons you have a subtitle is so that school teachers will buy the film. because <laughs> So they know what it is. Anyway, it goes into the PBS catalog. So what was the Niagara Movement? You're curious? I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I'm just going to
1: sit here and Larry Hott will be interviewing Larry
3: Hott today on the show. He does do it's a easier, lot of interviews. It's easier that way.
1: <laughs> no no, no awkward silence. I, I, no
3: I don't have to think about what the question will be.
1: Not No talking over each other. It all works perfectly. Okay, yeah. Larry so, Hott, please. Your okay. first question, too, Larry Hott.
3: <laughs> what exactly was the Niagara movie? Yes, what exactly <laughs> Thanks, was the Niagara What a trenchant movie. In question. <laughs> so, in 1895... Booker T. Washington, who was the most famous black man in America at the time. Uh, One person in the the film calls him the the king of black America. He was also called the Wizard of Tuskegee, the Tuskegee Institute, which still exists at a historically black college. Um, He built that up from nothing. In fact, he started it in a chicken shack. And he had the students build the school, and he was able to get an enormous amount of white support from Carnegie particularly, And he became a very wealthy man. He had a lot of power. And in 1895, he gives a speech. He's invited to give a speech at the Atlanta Exhibition. You imagine a black man invited to give a speech, almost always an all-white show, the Atlanta Exhibition. And he gives a speech, which was dubbed by his opponents, eventually called the Atlanta Compromise. And what he said in this speech was that black people should be subservient they should learn trades, they should not make any trouble, and that they should stay in their place until they were ready to take part in American society. And he was, they say that he was met, the speech was met with weeping and crying and cheers from the white people in the audience, women were fainting, he got a letter from the president, and at the, that when this happened, W.E.B. Du Bois, was also one of the more famous black uh, intellectuals in the country, wrote him a letter of of congratulations on the success of the speech.
1: Really? I thought that W.E. Du Bois and Booker
3: T. Yeah, they were at odds and right, because at the beginning, this seemed like a kind of a breakthrough because at least white people were accepting and talking with a black leader. And in fact, in 1901, which is only six years later, Theodore Roosevelt invites Booker T. Washington to the White House. And he thinks that this is gonna do him some good He invites him to dinner and it backfires terribly. The white press, particularly in the South, make the worst cartoons and editorials about this, saying it is the end of civilization when a black man is invited to the White House for dinner. It wasn't the first time a black man was in the White House. Uh, Frederick Douglass was in, in the White House with Lincoln, but he had not been invited to dinner. What a distinction, because that makes you a social equal. So how do you tell this kind of story on film the challenges are, what do, you, what do you show? And actually, what do you hear? And we have a clip, an amazing clip. We're not gonna be, we'll only play a little bit of it because it's very scratchy. But after Booker T. Washington made this speech in 1895, he went into a studio and recorded this speech again in 1895, A studio much like the one we're in now. <laughs> and the equipment has <laughs> not changed. The equipment hasn't changed <laughs> at all. He caught it onto a cylinder. Uh, which I can't really describe the technology appropriately, but you've probably seen these cylinders with a little needle that scratches in there and, and, and Edison, it was an Edison cylinder who, which had only been invented seven years before. So we can hear just a moment of Booker T. Washington's voice.
4: Mr. President and gentlemen of the Board of Directors and citizens, one-third of the population of the South is an equal race. No enterprise, the material, civil, or moral welfare of perspective, that disregard this element of our population and reach the highest respect. I could convey to you, Mr. President and directors, the Secretary of the masses of my race, when I say that in no way have the value and manhood of the American Negro been more fittingly and generously recognized than by the management of this bank different exposition at every stage of its progress.
3: So you can get a sense from then of his speaking power. It is said that he would come out onto the stage with his hands in his pockets and stand silently for 30 seconds just staring out at the audience and the anticipation would build and then he would start speaking in a stentorian voice and he commanded these people to listen to him. And for a white audience to be listening to a black man at that time and then for them to approve of it and to applaud he had such power in the black community, but he was also the head of the school in the South in Alabama that had some of the worst racism possible Including you're talking the, about the school or the state the state um, The number of lynchings at that time. It was something like 50 or to 60 a year It amounted to thousands you know, of course, uh, which we still have lynchings, unfortunately. But the height of lynchings were going on between eighteen seventy-five and, and nineteen forty. And in eighteen ninety-five, when he was uh, the head of the school, and it, which he was till his death in nineteen fifteen, he was always under threat, under death threats. So to have to be able to command such respect, run a school in the South, and have graduates who are able to go into the community and, and work, albeit. Uh, in, in, the, in the trades and in farming, and not like W.B. Du Bois in Boston, who was a Harvard graduate, uh, was a big thing. But over time, what happened was the depredations, the Jim Crow laws became so severe that the accommodationist policies of Booker T. Washington lost their sheen. And Du Bois and a man named Monroe Trowder from Boston led a movement called the Niagara Movement to say, this, is, this shall not stand. And I want to read to you just one paragraph.
1: And tell us again one more time. I know you've done this before, before, but for those of our listeners just hearing you for the first time,
3: why is it called the Niagara Movement? Ah, thank you. Yeah, the Niagara Movement. So it's a great story there. When they decided that they could no longer tolerate Booker T. Washington's policies and what it was doing to black people in America, W.B. Du Bois and Monroe Trotter and the people he worked with decided they would call a meeting of the top, what they call the Talented Tenth, the top black men, which is a crucial part of our story because it was only men at the time. They wanted to meet somewhere where they can get everybody together and talk about what should be done. Well, at the time, the cheapest travel rates were to Buffalo because (laughs) Buffalo was the center. It was where all the trains came in. It was where the Erie Canal came in. And there was uh, conventions there and they offered discounts. So they went to Buffalo. Uh, But all the hotels... Took their
1: coupons and went to Buffalo? Really?
3: Buffalo. Of all places. And uh, they had to go across the the river, Niagara River, to Fort Erie in Canada uh, because they couldn't get any rooms in Buffalo. And then they're there... Because the the hotels were segregated? Well, you know, it's funny. All the history books say they were turned away from the hotels in Buffalo. But then people did a lot more research, only recently, and found out... No, the hotels were perfectly happy to have them in Buffalo. There just weren't any rooms. So they went but for years it was played out as oh there was terrible discrimination in Buffalo. It, 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 it well, it there might have been there
1: might have been, but this wasn't an incident. This wasn't of an it. incident of it, no.
3: And there was a small but very powerful uh, black community in Buffalo, made mo- mostly of women, which is a, a crucial part of the story. So they go across to the river to Fort Erie. Turns out that Buffalo uh, and the Niagara region was part of the Underground Railroad, because it was on the border. And the goal of a lot of slaves was to get to Canada, where you could really be safe, because then there weren't any fugitive, law, fugitive laws there. So they're in Buffalo uh, at Fort Erie across the river, and it's the Niagara region. So they realized the symbol of Niagara. Niagara is a symbol of power, the, uh, the symbol of the, of the great promise of North America and it, you know, it also was a honeymoon symbol. But it was everybody knew about Niagara Falls, and they, and it was had just started generating power, uh, and they said, ah, we adopt the name Niagara, the mighty current of protest. They had a subtitle too. Even before PBS, <laughs> so, <laughs> so See, they were. The, your subtitle <laughs> right there. They were that. Well, that is our, that was our film subtitle, but we decided it was it was too confusing because people would, still wouldn't know what they were protesting. Still think
1: it's an environmental film,
3: right? Exactly. So they, which had, I'd point out, Larry, Hott has already made I, about Niagara. I made four films about Niagara Falls. <laughs> I swore I'd never go back, um, but here I am again at <laughs> Niagara Falls. Okay,
1: so listen, Larry, yeah. we have to take a break. Okay. Uh, I interrupted you to ask for an explanation for the name of the Niagara movement. Perhaps you want to do
3: the the teaser for what you'll be asking yourself next after the break? <laughs> the teaser for what I'm gonna talk about yes. after the break. I'm gonna I'm gonna to read to you the the most intense principle of the Niagara movement that'll just knock your socks off. Get ready for it. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
2: This week's Shop Tuesday is Slancha. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Slancha releases gift certificates for their Holyoke restaurant. Eat and drink on Slancha's patio high up on Jarvis Avenue with a view of Holyoke and beyond. Good food and drink, lunch and dinner daily. They say it on the old sod and they say it in Holyoke. Slancha, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at
1: WHMP.com
5: this is jessica from fitness together i meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher their self-esteem dropped lower and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them here at fitness together we'll work with you one-on-one either virtually or in one of our private suites in amherst or northampton we'll help you set and reach your fitness goals and most importantly smile every time you look in the mirror fitness together in amherst and northampton your self-worth is worth fitness together Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the Local Hero Guide on the CESA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow Local Hero label in stores and restaurants. Local Hero Food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile River Valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The Local Hero Guide is at the CESA website, buylocalfood.org.
6: We live in one of the most beautiful places in the country, the hill towns and valleys that we call home here in Western Massachusetts. At the Franklin Land Trust, we're working with landowners and community members to protect the landscapes that give us productive farmland, clean water, and healthy woodlands. We don't have to travel too far these days to see places where those sorts of things are just a memory. Our staff and volunteers have helped us to protect more than 32,000 acres so far here in our region, and we hope that you'll consider supporting our efforts to take care of the land that we all love, the farms that give us fresh local food, the riverways that give us clean water, and the forests and wildlife habitats that provide us all with healthy air. For more information on our work of landscape conservation, please visit our website at franklinlandtrust.org. That's franklinlandtrust.org. And thank you for your consideration.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue our conversation with Florence based Emmy award winning filmmaker Larry Hott. We are talking about the film he has in now in post production. Am I using the right term? Well, we're
3: editing, and that's uh, called post production, I guess.
1: Okay. Um, and the film is about the Niagara Project. And the Niagara you, Movement, The Niagara Movement, I'm sorry. And you were going to uh, tell us, as we were discussing during the break, uh, Booker T. Washington. And you were going to tease us, well, you did tease us, so to speak, with what the T stands for. What does oh, that, well,
3: I actually t- teased you with one of the th- what they wrote in their principles. Uh, but the T, what the T stands for in um, Booker T. Washington is Talaferio. Isn't that a great name, Talifario? I have no idea why it's named Booker Ta- <laughs> Booker Talifario, Washington, but it's a great name. Um, so I wanted to tell you about the Niagara Movement's principle. I can
1: understand why it was shortened to T. Booker Talaferio. <laughs> well, his mother
3: called him Talaferio. Really? Yeah, it took all day. <laughs> <laughs> so when the, when the Niagara Movement gets together in Buffalo... These are 40, the 10 wise men. Well, the, 20, and the 29 of them show up. Okay. Actually, there's a fantastic photograph. You can Google it. Google Niagara Movement, Niagara Falls photograph. It's a backdrop of Niagara Falls. This is typical of the time. you be at the falls, but you go into a studio and take a picture with the fake falls behind you. And they did that in 1895, I mean, in 1905 when they founded it. And it's a beautiful photograph of the falls. And there's six or seven of them sitting in front of the falls with a child on one of their laps. Uh, and it just tells you right there in that photograph that they think that this is a movement that is going to have a lot of power. It's going to last. It's going to run. It's going to be a mighty current to protest, as they said. Well, it did. It just evolved into something else. Well, you know, the part why we're doing a film on this It only lasted two or three years. Really? It only lasted two or three years. 1905, 1908 or so, completely falls apart in 1909. And it does morph into the NAACP. But in those short years, major, major changes. And the biggest thing that they did is that it happened at Harper's Ferry, of all places. Their second meeting was at Harper's Ferry. Why Harper's Ferry? Because that's where John Brown went. And John Brown, by the way, has a strong Springfield connection. One of the things they did at Harpers Ferry on the second night they were there is they marched through the streets carrying torches, carrying a piece of ember, a burnt ember, from John Brown's house in Springfield when he lived there and carried it down the streets. It's this, this talisman, this relic, like a reliquary, carrying it down the streets saying, we are embody the spirit of John Brown, who was well, a terrorist, right? Who had, had, attacked the, the, the fort in Harpers Ferry. I went to Harper's Ferry to to see, you know, it's a very tiny town, but it's really impressive when you think that they met there. And this is where, after they had said no women are going to be allowed, women pushed it and really pushed it, and they were admitted at Harper's Ferry. And one in particular asked to be there, and her name was Barbara Pope. And Barbara Pope, you've never heard the name Barbara Pope. I haven't. I absolutely didn't. But you've heard the name Rosa Parks. And you probably know if you study civil rights history, that there were many bar uh, Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks. She's the one who got the most press because they had planned it and they knew what they were doing in the early fifties. Right. Rosa Parks did not get
1: on the bus one day and say, Oh, I'm refusing to I've just had it this was a planned, right. it was planned protest.
3: Lots of things were planned. Plessy versus Plessy was planned right down to right down to who the which cop was going to arrest him on the train. But Barbara Pope you've never heard of. And Barbara Pope is an upper-middle-class black woman from Washington, very well-educated, a teacher. She gets on a train to go on vacation in Virginia and gets asked to go to the back of the car. And she refuses. Tell me her name again. Barbara Pope. She refuses, and she gets arrested. It's not planned. And she brings a lawsuit. And this is why the Niagara Movement is important. Because she comes to Harper's Ferry, and she tells them what's going on, and they take on her case. And they win the case, and she gets awarded $10,000 in damages on top of it, and the appellate appellate court in Virginia knocks it down to a penny, which is a way of saying, screw you, right? And Barbara Pope has sacrificed... But she wins the case about... About that—that that she should be have been allowed on the uh, on the train. Does she
1: win that?
3: Yeah, she wins. She wins the but case. But she only receives but they only, a penny. only receives in, in, a penny. In saying, okay, so you won, but we're not going to we're not going to give you anything. But she has sacrificed her job, her reputation. A lot of, one of the things I learned in this film is that we hold these people up as our heroes—the the, uh, the the SNCC people, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and all their sit-ins and protests. But their parents did not want them to do this. No parent wants their kids to get arrested. So Barbara Pope's parents are horrified that she has done this. She loses her job. She only gets a penny. Her reputation is destroyed. And two weeks after that award, she hangs herself. No. Right? So it's this terrible tragedy. But what comes out of this is the success of that one case leads in a direct line to Brown versus Board of Education 50 years later. So this is what the real importance of the Niagara Movement is. So I just want to read you one sentence from the Declaration of Principles. Jim Crow cars, we protest against the Jim Crow car since its effect is and must be to make us first class, to make us pay first class fare for third class accommodations, render us open to insults and discomfort and to crucify wantonly our manhood, womanhood, and self-respect. So what was the point of the Niagara movement? It only lasted a couple of years. It told and and are
1: you going to tell us why it fell apart?
3: Well, oh, okay, so well, if you want to know why it fell apart, internal bickering. I mean, that's, it was just, how are we going to run this organization? Are we going to let women in? Who's the boss? All this little stuff. And to make it more interesting for a film, Booker T. Washington was relentless in his attacks. And on the Niagara the term, Movement. On the Niagara Movement and on the individuals. And it became ad hominem, or as Jackie Gleason used to say, ad hominem and eminem. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have time for me to read you one short thing? Sure. Okay. This is the essence of the Niagara Movement's principles. We repudiate the monstrous doctrine that the oppressor, should be the sole authority as to the rights of the oppressed the negro race in america stolen ravished, and degraded struggling up through difficulties difficulties and oppression needs sympathy and receives criticism needs help and is given hindrance needs protection and is given mob violence needs justice and is given charity needs leadership and is given cowardice and apology needs bread and is given a stone this nation will never stand justified before God until these things are changed. That's the Niagara Movement coming out next year on PBS.
1: Do we know when next year? Do you know, know, know when well, next when year? Well, when I year finish
3: year? the film, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good deal. Very hot. thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Monty.
0: This is Bill Newman, they, WHMP.
3: We shall overcome.
5: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The investigation into missing lawn signs and suspicious cars continues in Northampton. The Daily Hampshire Gazette reports that Deputy Superintendent of the Hampshire County Jail, Barbara Marion, resigned as a result of the probe into a suspicious car with government plates, driving by another jail employee's home and taking pictures. Marion's name appeared in a Southampton police report investigating the incident. Sheriff Patrick K. Lane says he will not tolerate this conduct from any staff or campaign member. K. Lane said he is not personally involved in the investigation and did not speak to Marion about it. Kay Lane is running against Yvonne Gittleson and Caitlin Cepetta for re-election as Hampshire County Sheriff. A vote by City Council is the next step in approving a $500,000 request for repairs on St. John Cantius Church from Northampton's Community Preservation Act funds. The Community Preservation Act committee voted to recommend this spending last week. The Historical Commission also gave its blessing to the request from O'Connell Development, who plans to develop the building. O'Connell has hired a preservation consultant to write a historic structures report and would work with the Massachusetts Historical Commission if the funds were approved. Nearly $5.7 million will be sent to Amherst College by the Federal Emergency Management Agency to reimburse the college for the cost of testing students, faculty, and staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. The private liberal arts college in Amherst is to receive the money as part of the public assistance grant.
2: Warm sun-cloud mix today, little breeze out of the south, a high of 86 to 90. Variable clouds tonight, patchy fog, a low of 62 to 68. Mostly sunny tomorrow, a high of 88 to 92. Chances of some showers tomorrow night, mixture of sun and clouds in mid-80s on Wednesday. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
5: This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
4: Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. La declaración jurada que el FBI utilizó para obtener una orden judicial para registrar la casa del expresidente Donald Trump en Mar-a-Lago ahora es pública. Una versión redactada del documento fue publicada por un tribunal federal. De las 32 páginas de la declaración jurada de un agente especial del FBI con experiencia en investigaciones de contrainteligencia y espionaje, casi la mitad estaban cubiertas con gruesas líneas negras que ocultaban información que había demostrado a un juez federal la necesidad de registrar la propiedad de Trump en Florida. También se publicaron ocho páginas de anexos a información complementaria que no fueron redactadas. Existe una causa probable para creer que la evidencia El contrabando, los frutos del crimen u otros artículos poseídos ilegalmente se almacenaron incorrectamente en varios lugares en Mar a Lago, dice la declaración jurada. Desde que se realizó el allanamiento el 8 de agosto, las amenazas de violencia hacia el FBI han aumentado. Anticipándose al potencial de violencia de los partidarios de Trump, el agente en la declaración jurada pidió que se sellara. El agente también dijo que divulgarlo públicamente podría conducir a una actividad delictiva. En otras informaciones, la secretaria de la ciudad de Holyoke, Brenna Murphy McGee, anunció que la votación anticipada en persona para la elección primaria del estado dio inicio el sábado y estará disponible para el público desde este lunes hasta el viernes 2 de septiembre de 8.30 de la mañana a 4.30 de la tarde en la oficina de la secretaria municipal dentro del edificio de la alcaldía de Holyoke. La primaria estatal se llevará a cabo el martes 6 de septiembre. Para más información sobre las elecciones, puede visitar la página web de la ciudad de Holyoke en holyoke.org. Yo soy Johan rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
5: This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: And this is our monthly time. We're a little late this month. We're a little Uh-oh. late this month. Uh-oh. Are we pregnant? Oh, no. Are you menstruating again, Bill? With the host of our segment, Sex Matters, with Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist. Dr. Jane, the microphone is yours. What do you have for us today?
0: Uh, I hope that it's all clean. Me too. <laughs> uh, Bill, I'm glad you mentioned it. That it's the end of August, because everybody's feeling a little frantic. You know, school is starting... No, nope, I'm feeling a lot frantic. <laughs> <laughs> School's starting on Thursday. The vacations are almost over. Work is kind of heating up. Travel is starting to happen again. I, for one, am looking at a really busy fall schedule. But when we're talking about people getting busier, Bill and Monty... What do you think when she uses that
1: tone of voice, Monty? I'd like to uh, point out we're in trouble. Yes, what (laughs) do you think? Getting busy.
0: What do you think gets short shrift?
1: Let's go with well, I don't know, Monty. In your (gasps) life, why don't you tell us what gets short?
0: Coitus time. (laughs) Okay, so you've heard of FOMO, right? Yes, fear of missing out. Yes, and Joan, my lover, has. Uh, coined a new one, FOMOCO, Fear of Missing Out on Career Opportunities. She really <laughs> I like worries that. about that. Well, it's like, like
2: Momofuku. Oh no, Mo- that's, the, that's that that's restaurant. Actually a restaurant.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a chain. But I'd like to offer one more, fomoso which is the fear of missing out on sexual opportunities. And that's what today's topic is all about, time and sex, and making sure we have time for sex. So you know people who say they never have time for sex. Uh, just a Rhetorical question, Bill. I don't know. Monty
1: was Monty was shaking his head. No, I don't. Know and any. I both look at each other like, I don't you know, me. any well, of those people? I don't know anyway, okay. Maybe my parents. So, and I think that's their excuse.
0: How often? So how often do you have sex? How often should you have sex? How often do you want to have sex? You know, any idea how long people actually take to have sex? Well, I'm going to test. know about me. Okay, I'm going to test you. Plenty out. of time to do it whenever. I'm, Today's quiz is about time, Monty. <laughs> and you might win, but don't be too quick. Okay. Well, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I try, I, I oh, know, that was bad, no, that was bad. I try so hard. Bad. Okay, that was bad. Okay. Well, first, before I begin our quiz, I want to give you a little vocabulary. Okay. So, okay. Uh, when we talk about time in human sexuality, we talk primarily about two or really three concepts. The word frequency comes up in a lot of the sex research, and that's basically how long it's been since you last did it. Um, And sexual frequency is actually the most commonly assessed aspect of sexual behavior within all the sexuality literature. I mean, some people have linked it to relationships, some to sexual satisfaction, but it's not always consistent across different groups, and there's a lot of aspects that often get overlooked. So that's frequency. Then there's another term, duration. Duration. Monty's looking at me like, oh, I know what this means. <laughs> so that's how long you actually wa- do. That was a it. big smile on
1: Monty's face. He wants to talk about duration. <laughs> he is
0: smiling. He's smiling. I love his smile. So the duration of an individual sexual encounter or how long you actually spend on one sexual encounter is rarely studied. But the du- duration may be very relevant to our understanding of quality versus quantity. Get where I'm going here? Uh Maybe. So it gets me back to one of my favorite variables, and one I studied quite a lot as a graduate student, which is sexual satisfaction. And for bonus points, anybody know what sexual satisfaction is?
2: Um, I know my wife doesn't.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I'd like to
1: see how this conversation goes up, comes out, but I really have to be going now. Okay, <laughs> I
0: think you have to leave. Um, actually, I know you're going on vacation soon, so that's good. Plenty, um, of, t- plenty of time, right. 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 Uh, but often... Satisfaction is tied completely to frequency, but it's this subject response, right? A subjective response to your own sexual life. And some people could be completely satisfied with sex once or twice a month, and others may be completely unsatisfied unless it's more than two and a half minutes. You get what I'm saying here? Like the frequency and the duration may be coming into play. So So when
1: you say satisfaction, just so I understand our vocabulary... Mm
0: -hmm. Good. Sat-
1: satisfaction is the big picture of whether you're sexually satisfied, not yeah. whether you're satisfied with a particular event.
0: Right. In fact, people get uh, questions, for instance, on surveys, in the last month, how sexually satisfied have you been? And some people will say, I haven't had to, sa- I haven't had to have sex with them in six months, and I'm really satisfied about that. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Like there's that as well as the other. So oh, one more thing. Most sex researchers measure frequency of sexual intercourse, yet, you know, from having me on your show for the last few years, that may not be the most appropriate or accurate measure, especially for same-sex couples. So we'll be using the term sexual encounters today, just looking at more than just sexual intercourse. Okay. You guys got the terms? Yes. Yes. Okay. First question. Ready, Monty? Ready. I know that, I know that you love to win this quiz. <laughs> In 2014, Karen Blair from the University of Utah and Caroline Pukal from Queen's University in Ontario published this great study in the Canadian Journal of Human Sexuality looking at the duration and frequency of all different types of sexual encounters with different types of relationships. They looked at mixed sex and both female and male same-sex relationships. Who do you think had the most frequency, A, Heterosexual or mixed-sex couples, gay male or male same-sex couples, lesbian or female same-sex couples, or none of the above. And just so you know, just so you know Monty, it's not the usual answer. Okay, because
2: I was going to say, my usual answer is all of the above, so I was going to go with none of the above, <laughs> but I'm going to actually go with
1: same-sex males. Bill? Uh, I was going to go with same-sex females.
0: okay. Monty's actually right on this one. Very good, Monty. And how often should a couple be having sex to be sexually satisfied? A, one to two times a week. B, three to four times a week. Five, C, more than five times a week.
2: I think this has to be individually based. <laughs> Doesn't this based, depend on age a little bit?
0: There's a, there's a little bit of a trick to this question. Well,
2: I think anything above like whatever that was, one to three times a week. <laughs> All of those would be acceptable, but nothing below that.
0: How about you, Bill?
1: Yeah, all, all of the above.
2: Uh, even though that wasn't an option. It wasn't even an option, yeah. Bill, but
0: it's okay. <laughs> but the thing is, the word should in there, and it's, that's the problem. There's a problem with my question. In 2013, one um, researcher, uh, uh, Northrop Schwartz and Witt, published this book called The Normal Bar, The Surprising Secrets of Happy Couples and what they reveal about creating a new normal in your relationship. It was one of those self-help books, based on some of their own empirical research, and they claimed three to four times a week was the, quote, magic number. However, and this is a big however, everybody, many other sex researchers, including myself, disagree, and the question is really inappropriately named because I would question the value in promoting the word normal standards of sexual frequency because it leads people to feel like, well, I thought I was happy, but... We're only doing it this number, and maybe there's something wrong with us, so we have to reevaluate it. Maybe we have to go into therapy. You know what I'm saying? It's like it leads you to feel like you're dysfunctional.
1: So I'm going to tell you a story. I was in Florida years and years I ago. I love when he tells stories about, oh, about his oh, life. I know. Where is this oh, yeah. and and I, was re- I was reading the local newspaper where they were having exactly this conversation with readers and hmm. said, what is your secret to a long and <laughs> successful uh, marriage and, and relationship? And... Uh, I think the, this couple were in their mid 90s and she said we have sex once a week whether we need it or not <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well that is I mean that is a sex therapy thing right make time make a sex date make time for sex that's interesting. Um, Monty, are you looking at me because we have to take a break
2: Well theoretically we do but okay. the Bill Newman show
0: well, I can st- I can tell you that the next question is about duration so I can Oh leave good as That's content. what we call a teaser Good oh <laughs> I love a teaser
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> This is Bill Newman WHM.
1: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New New Bedford or Fall River. 1015,
3: 1400, and
1: 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
2: Hi, I'm Mike Fenton. I'm a candidate for Governor's Council. I've been practicing law in Western Massachusetts for 10 years, and I'm an adjunct law professor at Western New England University, where I also earned my MBA. I've been a member of the Springfield City Council for 12 years, three of those years as Council President. I believe that the combination of these experiences uniquely qualify me to be your next Governor's Counselor. I respectfully ask that you consider my candidacy. Thank you. Paid for by the Committee to Elect Michael Fenton,
3: Saluting our community's first responders today and every day. Greenfield Fire Chief Bob Strayon on his crew's tireless service and their professionalism and resiliency shown during COVID.
1: Every day is a constant threat of becoming exposed or getting ill from the virus. We take our precautions when we interact with the public, especially on medical calls. We use our proper protective equipment. Um, I just commend them for the efforts that they've put from day one, before the pandemic, starting to recover from the pandemic, the fire department, especially the firefighters they stand ready for any challenge that comes their way and uh, they've done a great job And they will continue to do a great job to keep the community safe.
3: We're grateful for our first responders, and so are our sponsors. Lundgren Honda of Greenfield. Experience it. Everyone at Lundgren Honda knows our first responders give so much to our community, so now they want to give back to them. In appreciation for their service and dedication, local first responders are invited to LundgrenHondaOfGreenfield.com's homepage for details on an exclusive offer.
4: Thank you for keeping our communities safe.
2: Seeing a student read something to a class, a student that has completely shut down, to see that same student a year later standing in front of a whole room full of kids and reading something is like the best. We get to see the whole process. Little steps turn into huge victories. I mean, we really spend a lot of time making sure that every kid finds success. It's not that the child is looking successful, but is actually being successful.
1: Whole Children is an organization that offers extracurricular and enrichment activities for children of all abilities.
2: I mean, we have kids with autism, kids with Down syndrome, kids with no diagnosis we've seen students succeed in a classroom setting who haven't been in a classroom with peers for years but also kids who are typical benefit because they leave the class with like a larger view of abilities that these these kids who are who I maybe didn't notice as much before have so much to offer
1: sometimes i, I think the peers benefit even even more, more yeah any child could yeah. benefit from going to a class at like whole children wholechildren.org
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue Sex Matters with Dr. Jane Fleischman, our show's resident sexologist. Jane.
0: So let's take take a look at duration. Remember what that was?
1: How long an
2: individual event lasts.
0: You're you're such a great student. Thank you. Most studies only look at duration in terms of penis in vagina or PIV penetration. For example, one Japanese study in 2010 focused on the length of time between the initial insertion of the penis into the vagina and ejaculation and found that the average duration was between, ready, A, 5.6 to 6.5 minutes, 13.6 to 14.5 minutes, or C, 25.6 to 26.6 minutes. What do you think the correct answer is?
1: I'm going A. In my heart of hearts, I would like <laughs> to vote for C, there. but I'm going to go for A too.
0: Okay, it was B. Yeah, it I was and, B. Yeah, B. Oh. I, you see, you were underestimating your own duration. Not because, my own. Okay, there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the average duration is 14 minutes.
0: Yeah, it was between 13 and a half and 14 and a half minutes. But they were they were looking at the likelihood of female orgasm through PIV intercourse, and the problem with premature, premature ejaculation. And so that's why they were really interested in how long this was. I'd be concerned that the possibility for female orgasm would be quite limited in those encounters. And let's face it, just looking at PIV only is such a heteronormative understanding of sexual behavior and sexual activity. There's so much more to be imagined. Okay, let me try another one. When you include foreplay, you know, all the stuff that create more fun and sexual excitement... You know, again, use your imagination. In addition to PIV intercourse with mixed sex couples, what do you think the average duration was? Now this is expanded, right? So, 15 minutes, B is 19 minutes, or C is 25 minutes.
1: Now I'll go with C. I, I'm I'm going to go with C because otherwise uh, there's very little warm up here.
0: Very little warm up. The average was actually 19 minutes. It was B. B so, again. So when you include foreplay, duration jumped, but. Really, not that much. You're both right. And here's the interesting thing about the results. Both men and women reported a, a greater desire for more foreplay and sort of the sensual aspects that don't directly revolve around PIV intercourse. So good, good to remember. Um, who do you think lasted the longest in terms of duration? Sting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good answer, actually. Bill, what do you think?
1: I don't understand the question.
0: Who do you think lasted the longest? Heterosexuals or mixed sex couples? Uh Gay male? Lesbian? Or none of the above? (sighs) Lesbian. You are so oops, I didn't Yeah, no, I was gonna I was gonna You say are that. so right, Monty. Okay. Now Monty, why how did you know that? Is that something you don't want to tell us? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> all when you based,
2: it's all based on stereotypes and things of that nature. That totally. like the, the idea being that it seems like women may want more of the the longer intimate as opposed to the the quick burst of right. excitement. So th- by that with two women, I figured that that might so right double on. the time.
0: One of the studies in 2013 found that it, it was 57 minutes. Um, 57 minutes right, is the average, average sexual encounter. you has got that time duration. to be a lesbian, right. not right. me. <laughs> well, you know, there's a joke in here <laughs> in a minute, but I'll tell you in a second. And then this 2014 study that I was uh, record, recalling before, they found 30 to 45 minutes per sexual encounter. It's way longer than any of the other kinds of um, couples. So what's it about? Well, especially because some studies have reported that this same group, women in same-sex couples or lesbians, have lower frequency than other groupings. Anecdotally, you know, I could say that, well... Lesbians have higher, they could have higher frequency if they had shorter duration, (laughs) if they just stopped talking so much. So anyway, um, but heterosexual couples reported to have an average of eight minutes duration for an individual sexual encounter. You don't want to
2: get caught by the kids. And and men in
0: same-sex relationships or gay men reported longer sexual encounters um, than men or women in mixed-sex relationships. So... Interesting, you know, if you've got time constraints and you can't seem to find 45 minutes to an hour, your frequency will decrease, but if you're thinking you could go up from eight minutes maybe to twice that, you know, you don't need that much time, so um, good to know. All right, one more question, uh, and then we're going to, and then I'm going to finish up. Um, Both duration and frequency are associated with, with relationship and sexual satisfaction, true or False.
1: Uh, They're Uh, both associated,
2: yes. They're both associated, sure. Why not?
0: Right, because even though frequency was lower for women and same-sex relationships, they still reported significantly higher degrees of sexual satisfaction. And everybody who is having sex is reporting some kind of either relationship or sexual satisfaction. Well, just because I'm paying
1: attention here on the show, Jane, when you say having uh, sexual uh, encounters, encounters, uh, is this eliminating sexual encounters with yourself?
0: No, that's a really good point. So this, all of these studies are about couples, which is kind of you know limited, because solo sex. People are having a lot of solo sex. Maybe that's even shorter, but it, the frequency is going to be a lot higher. <laughs> right, right. So what's it all?
1: Are you be? making this up? Or this is
0: a study. That's, <laughs> that's just from my anecdotal research. But um, but making the time to have sex might actually increase your satisfaction and. Frequency may not be the only predictor of sexual satisfaction. In fact, a lot of people say, I've had a lot of sex, but it's been really pretty mediocre. So when you pair it with duration, you can see more about what the satisfaction could become. And now that you could see the differences in duration between different types of relationships, we need really more careful ways to measure satisfaction, not just looking at frequency. You know, which might mean, you know, we've got this Tuesday night date, but it's been pretty mediocre for the last 35 years or, you know, that kind of thing. So perhaps we need to reassess and not get caught up in the frequency game because all the studies point to trading frequency for duration to study great sex. So what do I think about all this? I'm glad you asked, Mike. Is... What do you think about all this, Dr. <laughs> Jane
1: Fleischman? It's great having guests who just interview yourself. I know, right? All we have to do is sit here. Right? I, don't really, I don't really need you guys right now. Once more, the men are not really yeah. needed. Or the
0: solo sex, maybe. <laughs> right. But Peggy Kleinplatz, great name, um, another Canadian, she did this landmark study focusing on what she called optimal sex. And she repeatedly warns against mediocre sex simply for the sex. Sake of what you were talking about, Bill, about that article, just having sex for the sake of having it, because um, it's difficult to find a way to create synchronicity or intimacy or satisfaction. Sting found parties. a way to create
2: synchronicity. It's yeah. the name of one of the best police albums.
0: True, actually, it is a great <laughs> album. But desire for longer duration, for taking longer time, may be evident on one partner's mind but not on the other. So it's really helpful to go beyond that general notion of frequency and really start talking about how to have different types of sexual encounters and get more creative. So most important, couples need to get away from the notion that there are any quote unquote gold standards for sexual activity. We don't want anyone to feel bad because they're spending less time than the average, especially if they're having fun and feeling good about it. So remember folks, there's no normal except on the washing machine and make some time for sex because even if you're busy it may be that you find that you're enjoying your relationship a whole lot more when you do. It's all about making the time.
1: Well, we have a minute and a half left. Tell us. It's a wow. short. It would be a quickie. It's a quick, it would yeah, be right. a quickie. But let's have a quickie. <laughs> Actually, frequency. Let's have a cue. Tell us, about, tell, us, <laughs> tell us about whether orgasms are part of these studies.
0: Oh, that's such a great question. So orgasms aren't always associated with sexual satisfaction. So In fact, for some people... Reaching an orgasm is not part of their sexual encounter on a general, um, uh, in general, but there's so much focus on general on um, or, <laughs> on orgasms that people again they feel really badly about themselves like, oh maybe I should be having the big O and all that. And what I tell people often when they come to me with that kind of question is. Just have fun along the journey. Just enjoy the sensuality, the excitement, the intimacy, the closeness. Find some other things that are happening because that's the excitement. That's the satisfaction. And the orgasm may happen, may be fleeting, may not even, you may not even notice it. Particularly for some women, they may not even notice it. So it's different if you're not having ejaculate. So, um, you know, orgasms, I think, are just like, the end-all for so many people, especially when you're watching any kind of porn or any kind of, like, sexy movies, and that's not always the way it is for a lot of people.
1: We made it through the segment. Monty, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Neither one of us, is, as far as I'm blushing too badly, this one, nah, piece of cake.
0: Well, I'm glad you made the time for me. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: Dr. Jane Fleischman. This has been Sex Matters. We'll be back with Jane, well, maybe even tomorrow, but certainly next month. No, not tomorrow, not more. No, this can't go on any longer this week. Okay, next Next month. Thank you, Jane.
6: Football lives here. Lobson it. Josiah Johnson, end zone, touchdown, Massachusetts. Yes. Merriweather, daylight, end zone, touchdown, Ellis Merriweather from eight yards out. Follow the action
1: all season long on your home for Minutemen men football. The UMass
6: Sports Network from Learfield. Touchdown, Massachusetts.
1: What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on local donations to make its services and free local of news charge. and Talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's